Hello and welcome to the Found Cause. We have found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael Bay behind the machine, and to my virtual front is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Hey, Sebastian, how's it going? Not too bad, and you, Michael? We are doing a virtual thing today. You had to drop your grandparents off at the airport, so you're a little late. Can't come over. Um, and fittingly, today's episode is a kind of a rare one. We don't normally do these kind of episodes, but we have in the past. We have a couple categories here that we do in the Found Cause podcast, and one of them is Christian advice. So we're, uh, in stark contrast to our episodes that get all the hate from Hindus or atheists, this one is supposed to be just pure support for Christians and advice for Christians. So if you're not a Christian, welcome. But if you are a Christian, um, hopefully this is a particularly useful episode for you. Today is on transitions and changes and how do Christians react in these changing times. Not only these relevant political changing times, but also just personal changing times in general. So Sebastian, you're a man of, that just went through a little bit of change. Your grandparents were over for a month. Always a sad goodbye when you had to see people off the airport. Um, this is really a episode you were inspired to do after watching a channel on YouTube, a fellow Christian channel. Is that right? Yes, by the name of Alan Parr. His channel is called The Beat. I like his content. It's short, concise. So you know, if you're interested in getting some broad range of topics and they're you know like 10 15 minute videos alan parr has good material so there's something that inspired me to do this but we're going to do it the found cause way and we're going to give it a particularly reformed calvinist take on and there's no way it's going to fit 15 minutes because um we're not as professional no. as alan parr i guess no not at all no okay we're we're of a different different kind of uh, podcast yeah so first things first, to move on quickly, what are these potential changes in life? Like I can rattle off some, Sebastian, but what are you thinking for changes? What What are we about to talk about? When would it affect people? When do we need to hear about this episode? Mm -hmm. Well, anything that could have any emotional toll on any person, I would say. some You can go from something as dramatic as someone close to you just passing away. Uh, could be a parent, a grandparent, or... And even more dramatic, I've had my great aunt lose her daughter not too long ago, so child, mm -hmm. or it could be something you know less it's still serious but less dramatic, like losing your job. I, from my line of work, I've been speaking with a lot of people that have been working for years and now they were laid off because of COVID. So mm -hmm. that was initial initial pandemic. So definitely that, or even having to move because. You and I both know from university that there are many people who this is their that was their first time yeah. moving out of their hometown. So some like moving, that's a pretty that's a big change. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it's still it's still it can be impactful nonetheless. And I think the reason changes are impactful fundamentally is because they get you someplace that is uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, typically you are not relying on yourself anymore or, you're, or you can't very well, right? Because you don't know the lay of the land. So whether it's moving to university from your hometown or it's um, losing somebody that you're used to being with and that you used to rely on, um, those are changes that suddenly cause you to squirm and be uncomfortable and usually be sad or angry or panicked. And in fear or in uncomfortability, um, Christians should be turning to God. And so often it's a time that God uses and brings into our lives so that we extra rely on him and are proven through fire and built up through that fiery time. So uh, one thing I do want to preface about changes that I think is an important thing to say for those who have been through many changes in life, and that is that all changes, all trial really, changes are usually trials. 
all trials in life are relative to you. For example, me and you live in the U.S., Sebastian. We are not going through the trials of Afghanistan, right? Afghanistan has people dying and they're trying to escape the Taliban. We are under COVID lockdowns. Again, your grandparents might leave or you might have a death in the family, but it's not the same um, as the Afghanistani Christians are going through under threat of death. However, we have never been under threat of death, so changes in trials to us will similarly feel very fiery. If it's the most fiery thing we have ever experienced, it will be as fiery to us as under threat of death, typically, right? So uh, I think that we tend to scoff, especially younger Christians or less mature Christians, and say, Psh, you know, like, so what? You're, you know, you, you move from your house to college. Like, how hard can that be? You know, I've done that millions of times now, um, but it is hard for the person who's just done it one time, that's the biggest thing they've got. So there are greater rewards in store for objectively greater trials. So I do think the Afghanistan Christians will get objectively greater rewards and greater growth in Afghanistan than mm -hmm. we are here. But that does not mean that our trials, because they are smaller, are worthless or dumb or useless. They are legitimately big in our lives. And so they are legitimately impactful in our lives. And then equally for anybody who's going through smaller trials than us or smaller changes than us, I think we should be equally as patient with them and take their trials seriously because we have to remember how god takes our trials he's way bigger than any of us and to the afghanistan christians that think that the end of the world is them losing their property and losing their family which is you know i, I agree that's big to god he's like who are you a peon like i'm gonna have you in the end right he could take the stance of like all human suffering is pitiless and tiny right because he's <clears> god <throat> and he's gonna save you in the end um but he doesn't he transcends and he condescends and he comes down to us and comforts us whether we're a kid a little two-year-old that just lost their pacifier or we're a 100 year old who's seen all his friends die i mean that's god god comes and comforts where you are all that being said those are some potential changes sebastian the first question i think is uh, how do you how do you deal with change what does it mean about god is he out of control are things out of god's control is he trying to do his best what's our stance on that no he is not out of control this is going to be our found cause take on the matter it is so easy and i say this now based on my grandparents they're from they're from peru and they've been raging pouring their hearts out at how there's been a communist takeover in Peru, and I think, yeah, that's a legitimate thing to be complaining about, that they're, they are openly Marxist, Leninist, and they want to establish ideology. So in such a situation, it is easy to think from our perspective, what is, where is God in Afghanistan? Where is God in all of this? And that... your intentions so we'll get to we'll get we'll get to that so right away we i'm like and we're gonna get to this we hold everything that happens in life has been decreed by god mm -hmm. there's nothing that surprises him nothing that has it's like whoops didn't see that one coming sorry guys that never happens he has he he makes known it says in Isaiah, the end, from the beginning. Oh, we've gone over this so many times in other found cause episodes. Yes, we have. So here's the key. And this is something that go in my church and also even in my work. 
we, in order for you to be prepared for when those difficult times comes as a Christian, you need to do your due diligence. You need to do your homework. You need to prepare. You need to practice before the trials and tribulations come. Otherwise, you're going to just be lifting up your arms and running in circles like a headless chicken. So mm-hmm. this is why we're doing this podcast. So now, with clear checklists, at least for me, I would say the moment you see difficulty, you see hardship, you think that where's God in all of this? Go immediately to the point to God's word. Spend more time than what you have been before. This might be obvious, might be like, no da, Sebastian, why are you telling me this? You might think it's obvious, but trust me, the moment that you're panicking, that you're running around in circles, yelling, sweating, and crying out, you're not gonna think of that. Understand, get into the habit. When you feel just a little bit of discomfort, get in the habit of of reading God's word. You should do it regardless but more so when you have a little bit of discomfort. That way, when a real trial comes, just like that, you will go and study the Word of God. And Mm -hmm. then we're going to say later how God is sovereign. He might just let you read what you need to read at that moment. Or if you're like us, we like to listen sermons online sometimes. You will just get the Word that you need at the sermon. What's your take on this, Michael? You know, I think there's two ways you can take um, this kind of episode and this kind of device, whether it's from Sermon or from us or from however you're getting it. And that is, oh, I'm going to use that in my life or, oh, I can't wait to use that in somebody else that's going through change. Now, I think we'd all admit and and understand that we will go through trials ourselves. So we need to be prepared to go through them for ourselves. Um, But when I think of a verse that fully encapsulizes God's sovereignty, that is how much he's in charge of everything, um, which many people dispute, by the way. So I mean, I take it for granted, and I think a subset of Christians takes it for granted, but there are definitely quote-unquote Christians and, and legitimate Christians at that that don't either submit to that idea, don't realize that God is fully in charge of everything that happens in your life. Like you said, whether you heard a particular sermon on a particular day, what you ate for lunch that day, um, how you woke up, whether or not you get sick. And then, of course, the big thing is whether or not you get married, who dies in your life, where your job is, how much money you make, you know, who knows you, how you're feeling, all that type of stuff. We get this, I'm not just pulling this out of my butt, we get this from a classic verse that you've probably heard before. It's stitched on pillows and keychains and everything at the Christian bookstore, and it's Romans 8.28. Here it goes. And you know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So in that, I'd highlight that God, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose. So two things to highlight there. One, if you're a Christian, you're called according to his purpose, right? A legitimate Christian. And that all things work together for your good. God is working all things. So again, the smallest thing, what you ate for breakfast, to the biggest thing, when your parents die, when something doesn't go your way that's really hurtful, all of those things are working for your good legitimately so they might be actually objectively bad things as we discussed on many episodes in the past including the last episode when we were talking about the problem of evil reacting to cosmic skeptic the evil things in your life might be legitimately evil a divorce a death uh, a sickness but 
they are on the grander scale good because God has planned them for good. So there will be a greater good above the evil. It's not God's not making the best out of a situation. He's not reacting to the evil that came. He has a plan for that particular evil so that if your child gets cancer, you can and will um, trust or you can trust that God, this was not a surprise and he has an exact explicit purpose for it. Now, it might not be for the benefit of that particular child. It might not be for the benefit of you, but it's for the good of God. And if you are his, if you're a Christian, then it's for your good as well if you are suffering because of that. So that's a trite thing. And I think often we think, oh, I can never use that if I'm trying to counsel somebody else because they're going to blow me off and it sounds trite. And they're like, oh, no, I don't want you saying that, that this um, cancer diagnosis is good. Um, I totally understand that. I think we do need to be careful when we whip this verse out, but for our personal use, when we're under trial, I think this is the the go-to verse to remind yourself of. Exactly. Exactly. And we know that as Christians, our life is not going to be sunshine and roses always. Jesus himself promised that they will persecute us because of him, and we will be, face- we will be facing trials and difficulties. A lot of the letters in the New Testament, particularly Peter, it's all about suffering. You will, like he's telling you, you will endure suffering. Praise God if he has blessed you with many gifts. But suffering is part of our sanctification. Sanctification being shaped into the image of Christ. Think of, think of Jesus. How much did he suffer during his life? And here's something I mentioned. It might sound silly, but I mentioned in my Bible study. Jesus knew before becoming incarnate how you and I will be living with AC right now, with artificial lights, with computers, with phones, and yet he chose to enter history during the Roman Empire. Now, I understand there were many advances, you know, plumbing and whatnot, but they did not have AC. There were mosquitoes everywhere, animals in the cities too, you know, so let's it could have been a little bit stinky, you know, there was no deodorant, there was no deodorant either. Bathrooms were questionably unsanitary, okay? My point is, he knew what was going to happen, but then he still endured it for us. So, with that suffering, with all, with all that he took upon him, you can see how much good came out of that. He saw God established in his, in his sovereignty that he would enter creation at this time to redeem his people then and there so all i'm saying is we praise god for his wisdom or he took suffering on himself and thus he has not left us to our own to be you know just running mm-hmm. in panic he is there for us and we must seek him yes 100 percent agreed i do also think um this is just how my brain works when I think, okay, so yes, the positive thing you're telling us that that's good and comes from scripture is that we can rest that God's way is good. However, um, on the practical level, and the scripture addresses this too, when we want something, so whether we're in a change, often our sins come out, right? Because we're uncomfortable. And so we're trying to rely on ourselves first. It's a natural reaction. And so all our sins come out because when we're relying on ourselves, typically our sins come out. Um, We start to covet. Say we, we do move to university from home. Suddenly we're coveting somebody doing our laundry again, right? Um, James 4 talks about 
what happens when we have desires that we can't get. It's the very start of James 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. But you don't, you, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I think this is an important tip as well as warning for when you're in a changed environment and suddenly you find yourself wanting a lot of things, right? Your, your spouse leaves you, so you're wanting your spouse, you're wanting companionship or somebody dies, right? You're wanting that person to be around. You're wanting their service or company or face, whatever it is, um, or you're wanting the comforts of life that you can ask God. And if it is in the right spirit and God's willing, he will give you what you want. Do not refuse to ask God because you're afraid of the answer. Because we know as Christians that God's way is better than our ways. And I think often, and I speak to myself here too, if we're in a situation like that where we want something, we really want something, we avoid asking God for it because we're afraid he will not give it to us because he has some quote-unquote better plan, right? And we don't like that better plan. We want somebody to do our laundry for us now. We want our husband back now. We want our, our child alive now. We want our child cured now. We want ourselves cured now. We want a better job now. And we're afraid that God's going to be like, guess what? My better plan doesn't involve your husband coming back to you. It doesn't involve you getting your job back. It doesn't involve you being famous. It doesn't involve you getting to lay back and you know put your feet up every night. It involves you doing hard work, but it's going to be worth it. And we don't want to hear that, right? So I think often our anxieties and quarrels when we're in a changed environment is actually a root of faithlessness that we refuse God because we know if we turn to God, he would correct our hearts and suddenly we would be ready or maybe not suddenly, but slowly and surely we'd be ready to take on the challenge that he's actually putting in front of us of doing our own laundry or getting along um, with a quarrelsome sibling or surviving without a husband, surviving with a, a dead child, whatever it is, whatever the trial you're going through, big and small, that he would put us through it. He'll give us, he'll equip us to go through it. Um, or he might take it away. Honestly, he can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign. He might take away your trial. So it's worth asking because either he'll give you the heart to get through it or he'll take away the trial altogether. And he was just waiting for you to ask. So again, I would quote James 4 to ourselves primarily as, as opposed to using this as witness to somebody else who's going through trials and say, you adulterous people, you do not have because you do not ask. I think it's really should be mostly witness to ourselves when we're going through trials. And uh, the useful thing about going through trials is that you can use them as testimony. And I think testimony is often a much softer way to help somebody else who's going through trials to say, when I lost my child, when I moved to a different state, um, this is how God helped me. This is what I did. And God, God came to me. That's a lot softer than just quoting scripture. I think there are times to quote scripture, but I think primarily the use of scripture in this case, when you're hurting, is for yourself. Which brings us back to one of your suggestions, Sebastian, that is, if you are hurting, if you're in a trial, if you're in a change, turn to scripture. You might think it's trite. You might be reading Leviticus and be like, I don't see how the application is here at all. Um, you might want to go to Psalms or some maybe more uh, aggressively nice or prescriptive book than Leviticus or whatever. But God's word is God's word and is living and does apply to you basically wherever you're in it, wherever you are, because God is living in you and he changes your mind to see and apply things in his word um, if you're faithful to him by reading it. Exactly. Exactly. And a quick touch on prayer since you brought it up. Mm -hmm. Part of what we're asking is, you know, even if I'm paraphrasing here, Jesus correctly, you ask, but you ask wrongly, so with the wrong spirit. So you, you don't get what you're asking for because you're asking inappropriately. There is a way 
I would hold to actually start praying and asking for things righteously. If you're praying and asking things according to the will of God, and you might be asking, how the heck can a mere human pray according to the will of God? Well, by spending more time in either, well, you could say the presence of God, but at least, you know, in the spirit of learning from him. You, know, you and I both know this. The more, st- the more time you spend with a person, you tend to pick up habits from that other person. So mm-hmm. how much more if you spend more time with the word, the revelation of God, you're going to become more and, and more like Jesus Christ. The more and more you become like Jesus Christ, the more you will start asking things as Jesus would ask God. But you have to do this before you your country blows up or you lose a relative because at the heat of the moment, you will struggle a lot. So it's better to prepare ahead of time to be ready when a challenge comes up. Yes, and I think um, just a quote from James 4, same chapter again on the same kind of topic, that if you don't yet know God's will, because sometimes his will is out of your grasp, even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're not sure what's going on. Um, I think the default is what James commands us to say. Uh, so here's James again. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into this city or that city, spend a year there, or carry on in business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So I'm going to highlight there. Uh, Instead of saying, I will do this or I will do that, um, you can say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So if you're praying and you want something um, to be more in accordance with God's will, pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, who said, if it can be, if it is possible, take this cup from me, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but your will. So in the same way, I think even if we are reluctant to God's will, pray that his will be done and we will be praying his will be done <laughs> by default, right? By definition, because we're praying that his will be done. So if you discern his will because you know him more, right? You've spent more time with him. You've spent more time in his word. You've seen how he acts in the word. You've seen how he acts in your life. Then you can submit to him more readily and say, yes, God, I know that you want me to... Um, start doing my laundry, right? You want me to start taking up more responsibility at work or at home. Um, I realize this. Thank you for the reminder. I pray that you embolden me for this task. Um, Then you can pray the specific thing that's in God's will in your prayer. But if you don't know, you're either mature or it's like some crazy thing that you don't know God's will for, um, pray like that. Pray like James asked you to pray. And that is, Lord, if you will, you know, please let this trial pass for me. Let me um, feel comfortable here in college. Let me survive Um, the death of my relative, Um, or if you will, heal them, right, if they're sick, but not as I will, but your will. Mm -hmm. And on that note, Michael, sometimes our, to make, you know, a slight transition there, we might be laboring, we might be asking God for things, we might be serving God now, but we might not see the effects of our work, mm-hmm. either until much later in our lives, or potentially you will not even see it in your life, but actually in other people. It could be in your church, or it could be just people that you have witnessed to in a one-time encounter. So something this is, you know, this is this I would say it's a little bit could be a little bit harder to swallow because for some people, you know, we all like to think that 
I'm working for myself, you know, God is working in my life. But part of being, of understanding the reform position is that we are the children of God and we're also instruments of his will on this world. So sometimes we might serve him, not for our sake, but for other people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think and, we should we should realize that if we are getting privileged to be the instrument of God's will, it is a benefit to us too. So even if our labors, like you're saying, look fruitless because we don't see them benefiting us directly, um, but they do benefit somebody else, we also benefit from being a tool like that, even if we don't see the fruits here. I mean, we will receive crown in heaven or whatever it is, some benefit from being an instrument because God can do reach somebody however he wants, right? He could write a message up in the sky. He could do anything, but he chose to use you in that moment. So even if you don't like the idea of being used for fruit that you can't see, um, realize that it does benefit you. It's not, um, you know, you, you were privileged enough to be that instrument. So it's, it is still a mutually beneficial arrangement. It's not just like God chose the, the nearest Christian and to, to get somebody else to, to do his will. And you benefit as the nearest Christian, you don't benefit at all, except for the inconvenience of having to do whatever God has you do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So there are a couple of examples, and I do want to cite some scripture because I think this lays out exactly what we're talking about now. Uh, let's start. Let's start. Let's warm up. Let's start first with First Peter, one of my one of the verses I really like. So here in First Peter chapter one, he is summarizing part of the mission of the prophets. So I'll read it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So what do we get from this? Yes, the prophets had very important duties and they were simpler servants of God in their lifetimes. Also, their work served as, test, as, as a foundation to lay the path for the Messiah who would come sometime to thousand years after, for example, Abraham, would it be, or even 300 years after Malachi. So God, in this case, God did inform the prophets of what would happen in the future. But like them, our work, we might be laying the groundwork for things that will benefit fellow Christians hundreds of years from our lifetime. So that's just something to bear in mind. Mm -hmm. And the next famous example you might be thinking of too is Abraham. Abraham, God calls Abraham out of Ur, which is in modern day Iraq, and tells him, Go to this far off land and I will give you I will give you land as your inheritance and also for your for your children. So that's a pretty big calling, especially in the ancient world where there were no cars. No, again, no AC, and yeah, probably it's very be a dangerous. Hard journey. I mean, yeah, and it's crossing through Arabia. I understand it wasn't as sandy as it is now, but still, you know, I walking through all of that 
that would be like well that would be very bible nerd geography moment he actually called abraham's father Terah, and Terah stopped in tehran which is like in modern day kurdistan and then um stayed there for a little bit and then he died and then abraham picked up the journey where his father left off and continued to canaan so it would have been like the fertile crescent but whatever that's just a bible nerd moment sorry okay fine fine you win this time you win this time and to michael's team yes and from from there even abraham there is still concerned about the promise about the promises Sovereign, and Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So, what can you get from that? Did Abraham see absolutely everything fulfilled in his lifetime? No. No. Did he get the land? Absolutely. Did he get uh, an heir? He did indeed. But did he get to see with his own two eyes the whole population that would be his descendants? No. So in this example, we can see clearly God is promising something that's very good. Notice it's going to come many, many, many years later. And this is laying the foundation for the Messiah, of course. So everything is tied together, isn't that nice? Indeed. And just to... Keep quoting James. I just heard James, so this is on fresh of heart. But like you were saying in that um, a combo of you saying, yes, the prophets did things. Um, you're quoting from First Peter where the prophets um, prophesied things that they weren't going to see the fruits of until thousands of years later. Um, let me quote the same kind of thing from James 5. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So in that case, he's saying you count right now, you consider the prophets who suffered, right? And, and it generally sucked to be the Lord's prophet. Um, you count them as blessed. And so know this, they not only did it, you know, like Peter, quoting Peter here, they did these things for your benefit. So 2,000 years later, or however long the prophets um, were prophesying ago, did it for your benefit. So you benefit now from their work. Your work can be benefiting other people's work. And you would be considered blessed and you will be considered blessed in, in heaven, even if you suffer now. And so these trials or changes or whatever you're going through right now could end up impacting um, further generations, right? Your children, your children's children, your children's children's children, whatever. It could be many generations in the future and you will be counted as blessed for the suffering that you came through. So even if you don't receive blessing like Job did um, in this lifetime, know that you can definitely still be counted as blessed and therefore God's word holds true that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And he might even give you blessing in this earth like he did Job, like he did um, some of the prophets like Abraham. He received a portion of his blessing, right? Right there on earth. He received wealth, he received an heir, and he received the land. He didn't see the full fruit of what God was giving him because God's blessing was greater, but he did receive a portion of it even here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
any other practical tips, Sebastian, for those who are going through changes as Christians? We've talked about a lot of scripture to point to. Um, we've talked about reading scripture when you're in suffering. Anything else? Yes. Something that, again, might be obvious now, might be trickier when you're... Actually, it depends on your personality. I'll say it. Be sure to reach out to your fellow brothers and sisters in your church because we are different parts of the body and our body works great as a team. Different parts work together to get the whole body moving and Jesus Christ is ahead. So as we know, Paul says, you can't have a whole body just of eyes or of hands or feet. Mm -hmm. You need different parts of the body. So we're there to serve one another. And again, in God's providence, he has placed us you and I, and our lovely audience here, in our places, in his foreknowledge from eternity past, he has decreed that we live at this time. And I have seen how me, after I joined the church, how I have served and blessed fellow brothers and sisters, and how they have been a great influence on my sanctification. Which, as a side note, join a church if you don't join a church. So, yes. very, very important. Yeah, and we could quote for that one as well there is quotes from hebrews and then peter talking about the, those who've stopped gathering together don't be like them right keep gathering together um, but like you said sebastian i think something i often overlook um, especially as somebody who grew up in mega churches where there isn't a lot of like connectedness you just kind of show up to church typically especially and even that happens as a kid sometimes too even if you're at a, a solid communal church um you're not used to reaching out to others, especially other Christians, for real problems, right? You're totally willing to tell somebody else's prayer request when the prayer request thing is going around a small group. Like, oh, yeah, my cousin's cousin has a big test coming up. Pray for that. Or even for our own stuff. Oh, yeah, I've got a big test coming up. You know, something totally mundane. But if you're actually hurting, if you're actually hurting, right, You, I don't usually naturally want to share that because I'm like, that's private. That's like a real thing that I'm hurting about. I don't want to share that with brothers and sisters. Do it. That's what the brothers and sisters are there for. And like you said, there are those equipped that are better than you. And maybe I'm just, I'm not as equipped in that side of the body to care for people hurting like that. Um, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are equipped to do just that. And so by not sharing, you're not only depriving them of some victory, but you're also hurting yourself because they're good at doing that. And God will bless their work in comforting you that you'll be comforted. So Totally amen to both points, Sebastian, that if you are hurting and you're in change, so if you move from home to university, a usually big change that most people go through, find a church. Um, it's mandatory. If you aren't doing that, there's your problem. Again, you're, and you're having anxiety and you're suffering and you're refusing to go to God. It's because you refuse to do some of the basic things he's already asked you. He's asked you to read his word. He's asked you to talk to him, to pray, and to join a church. So if there's no church around you, that's a bigger problem. Maybe you need to move. But if there is a church, join it and actually talk to the brothers and sisters there. Actually be part of the church, not just attending. It's a help to you, not just to others. And that's a very nice, I would say, nice habit that I've picked up based on my church to see. Now, that's something I'm grateful for, for picking a smaller church to be a part of. And because of that uh, smallness, if you can put it that way, it is easier for me, at least, to reach out to other people. And this is, you know me. This, I'm not someone who's like, I, like, I don't overshare. I'm 
unless it's, it's unless it's necessary, I will not. I will, I'm not necessarily an older person, but because mm -hmm. of the way the search is snitched where I'm at, I I would say you know I am having an actual problem. Let me talk to this person or that person who I know have more experience in this area or that area or whatever maybe or they're just or they're just natural counselors. So they it's a gift a gift of God. So in that way, you by being their guinea pig, so to say. They are glorifying. They're glorifying God by by serving you. So, it's it, mutual assistance. Sounds it sounds strange. Might sound awkward. Do it. You will not regret it. Now, you know you want to be respectful. You don't want to, you know, Spanish say talk out of your elbows. You just like blabber all to everybody. So you want to be you want to be polite, of course, but do not shy away from having an, a conversation with a fellow brother or sister. Indeed. Now, if you're anything like me, and if you've got a nasty habit of saying, blah, 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 heard all this Christian mumbo jumbo before, you know, I've been on the block a couple of times. Again, why are we even talking about this? Because I, you know, I'm either not in a trial right now, or I already know all this, blah, blah, blah. Like you, when I was a kid, side note, when I was a kid, I would always say to pretty much anything anybody ever told me in advice wise, I know, I know, I know, I know, even if I had no idea prior, right? Like it's a completely new knowledge to me, or I've never heard that advice before, I would always reply, I know, I know, I know that. So if you're like that and you're responding to this, you're like, oh yeah, I know that. And maybe you legitimately do know that and you've already heard of this. I think what helps me contextualize the use for conversations like this is who's disagreeing, right? Like if everybody agrees with this, it's not a particularly interesting topic to me. But if there are those who disagree with it, well, then I'm ready to like take a stance and all this that we've said. Well, there certainly are those who disagree with this stance that means Sebastian are telling you today on such a... Um, careful nice gentle topic as suffering and how to deal with change there are those who violently and virulently disagree with what means sebastian i've just told you namely on two fronts on one front there are many christians and non-christians certainly alike today that do not like and despise the thought that god is sovereign over everything and sovereign is such like a goofy church word so often christians methodists whatever that that are not reformed and do not believe in the sovereignty of God will say we believe God is sovereign we believe that he's big and mighty but they don't believe that he's in charge of everything they actually believe that there are things that are entirely under human control that God cannot stop so when they and others of the same ilk and, and it's a large portion of the U.S. so don't think this is some small fringe group that we're talking about this is a large portion of quote-unquote Christians whether they're real or not some are real some are not um, just like in any sphere that believe that God is either unable or unwilling to stop genuine evil that has no good in it from happening. So when they see rape happen, when they personally experience suffering, so they personally experience rape or they personally experience death in the family or whatever, they're under change. They believe that it is um, either just a fact, a raw fact of sin in the world, or it's some trial from the devil that God was unable or unwilling to stop and may be used for good in the end, but is not necessarily made for good in the moment and so they would bristle and say that if you told somebody or somebody that was going through suffering said i know that this cancer is for good they would bristle and say no you can never say that god does not bring evil this is from satan or this is from the world and this is from sin there are strong opinions about that because suffering is such a personal issue it brings about strong emotions so if somebody had their own parents pass away and they believe that it is just purely evil they are often extremely negative 
towards those who say that this is part of God's plan because they refuse to pin something they hate and are very bitter about to God because they still want to worship God without having to work through the fact that God did have their parents die or had whatever bad thing happened to them happen to them. They refuse to say that it was in God's fear to let that happen. So there are many in the U.S., Christian and non-Christian alike, who absolutely bristle at God's sovereignty. I think the only way to walk through suffering is by admitting God's suffering, uh, God's sovereignty. That otherwise, otherwise you're left with this. If God wasn't sovereign, that, that not getting into all the scripture that supports that he's sovereign over everything, but if God was not sovereign and your child got cancer and died, that cancerous death, that painful cancerous death to both your child and you was fruitless evil. So in the attempt to not pin evil on God and the attempt to be able to worship God without being bitter against him because of something you are bitter about, you have now made, in your mind at least, the death of your child and your own suffering in it completely meaningless. Or like you get a scrap of nugget of wisdom or nugget of testimony out of it. Whereas if you submit to and realize that God has planned everything from the beginning, from the death of his son to the fall of Adam of an Eve to the death of your child and your suffering in it, then you realize that his good outweighs the bad. He didn't get a scrap of wisdom, a scrap of testimony that you're able to use. He didn't not foresee this coming. It isn't just an attack of the enemy. It is legitimately good, not only for God, but if you're a Christian, for you that you went through that suffering. And it was pre-planned. And there's, there is comfort in that, tremendous comfort in it, to know that God is good, even in having done that and submitting to that. That's the way out of bitterness. It's the way into hope. And it's a way of testifying about your hurtful, terrible experience in a way that points to God rather than points to sin and death and suffering. Mm-hmm. And be very careful. As you know, as a brother or sister in Christ that may be watching this, you might be scoffing, you know, why would God allow this evil to happen? Be careful because if you really think it through, what you're implying is that I can do a better job than God. Mm-hmm. So as a Christian, we know better. We are creation. He is the creator. Is he some despotic madman who does like evil left and right? Nope. Compare him to Greek gods. Compare him to Allah or any other belief system. He is good. He displays his goodness. And he can tell you why everything has happened in history. Everything has, has happened and why it happened. He can tell you that. We have cited countless examples before in previous episodes. For example, Joseph. In, the, in that case, God explained to Joseph why so much of his life was suffering unjustly at the hands of bad people. At the end, it was to accomplish such good that I would say infinitely outweighed the 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 injustice that was done to Joseph. That doesn't mean it's meaningless. What it means is that what I'm saying is that the good greatly outweighs what the the bad the bad things that happen because that's how God operates. Another one you can think of when the Jesus meets the blind man who has been blind from birth and been begging, you know, being blind for many years, Jesus tells him he was born this way so that someday in his life, I would approach him and display the power of God in him. So that man had to crawl for, I don't know, 20 plus years, begging, 
being neglected by his family, cast out from society, being called names, so that God would display his power in that. Some people, I would say, atheists probably would say, what the heck? That's clearly the bad outweighs the good. But mm -hmm. as Christians, we see that how many people were saved by such a miracle, by seeing Jesus, God himself, heal that man. And also, I would say, that man repenting and turning to God. How many others did that the moment they saw that? So, yes, he suffered for 20 years or more. But how many hundreds gained eternity because of that, because of that moment? So, mm -hmm. clearly, eternity outweighs 20 years. That's my take on it. Yeah, indeed. And another objection, so we've got the sovereignty objection, which is a pretty violent objection, especially from Christians. We've also got another objection that comes from Christians, yes, but I think more um, cultural Christians, and then, of course, atheists alike, which they scoff at the second half of our talk here, and that is what you do about suffering. So there are quote-unquote Christians, and I suppose there are legitimate Christians whose reaction to this is, when you're in suffering, it's foolish to rely on God. God helps those who help himself. Not a Bible phrase, in case you're wondering, just an Americanism, just an American phrase. God helps those who help himself. So if you are in a new environment that is straining and stressful, whether it's um, a new life without a person you loved or it's a new place without the people that you love, right? So you're in college or somebody died or whatever, whatever your change is that is stressful, that's a trial. They would say the first things you need to do are, you know, create a budget, join a club, um, like set your house in order kind of thing and that you should set those things in order before you go to God and once you've got everything in order then you can go to God and say God please bless these things I've set up thank you for letting me set up these things etc so they they claim it's weakness Christian weakness to fall on your hands and knees before you've done anything and pray they say do everything that you can first and then pray there's a Mormon phrase from um, second Ephi that I remember because it was one thing I used to witness to Mormons to show that their gospel is different and it says um for by grace you've been saved through faith after all you can do. So it takes Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 and um, twists it, more than twists it, adds on to it to say that it's by grace you're saved through faith after all that you can do, right? Oh, I'll save you after you do your very, very best, um, which is not the gospel. That's not the gospel, and it's not the gospel in the end with Christian salvation. It's not the way you go to heaven, nor is it the way that you deal with trial in this life either. You're not saved by grace through faith after all that you can do in this life either. Of course, you're called to do all that you can do, but that's not contingent on whether or not God has grace in you. And so similarly, if you're under attack here, you're in a changed environment, again, whatever change, whatever trial that is, the first thing you should do is turn to God, quoting James 4 again, you do not have because you don't ask. So if you don't go to God first, you're just wasting your time. You can set up a lot of things, but the first thing you should always do is go to God, and then you can put your house in order. So I'm not saying that you don't put your house in order. I'm not saying you sit in your butt waiting for God to do something. I'm not. But go to God first so that whatever happens afterwards is um, pending his correction, right? You went to God for his direction. Because um, if you just go out swinging and doing things, whether they're mundane things, again, like joining a club, or they're huge things like um, getting remarried, um, if you don't consult God first, you're opening yourself up to being like Saul, King Saul, who makes one little mistake, right? He, he offers sacrifices before Samuel gets there. He offers them himself because the troops are getting restless and starting to leave him before battle, right? He thinks this is obviously what's right, right? Samuel said he was going to be here. He's not on time. Um, and the troops are leaving me. This is obviously what's right. I'm not going to consult God. I'm not going to consult the prophet. I'm going to do this thing he's already commanded me to do myself. I know it's good. And that is what loses Saul the kingdom. The Lord comes through Samuel and says, 
What have you done? You screwed up. And guess what? The kingdom's going to be handed to somebody that's not your descendants. Um, you're cursed. And so similarly, you could arrive in college and say, okay, this is going to be stressful. It's a new environment. I need to make new friends. First things first, I've got to join a club. First things first, I need to go to the bar and pick up some guys that I'm going to hang out with for the rest of the year. And you can do both of those things. I mean, depending how wise each one of those is, but always as a Christian, go to God first so that you've gone to him and then he can direct you on whether or not what you're doing is correct. And he could give you no direction and then you go and do what you're planning to do anyways, but it should always be as the Lord wills and not just as you will. Because if you don't go to God first, again, you run the great risk of being like Saul and being cut off and, and cursed in your current endeavor because you did not go to God first. Exactly, exactly. I agree completely, Michael. And I'm always reminded when a calamity hits, I always think of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. The Lord deemed it so, and it happened. May the name of the Lord be praised. Indeed. So it's always turning in humility to God first. And don't curse him and hope and die. And rather turn to him first. And the Spirit is kind. We are, as we know, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So it is not wrong to ask for compassion of God, have some more grace now to comfort us in our in our trials and constantly ask for guidance because we know that God does provide. If you if you ask with the with a with a humble heart and a, with the intention to, I want to serve you, please. I don't know what to do. Help me out. Mm -hmm. Any last words then, Sebastian, for viewers at home? I think we've gone over everything. All right. Well, again, hopefully this has been a useful episode, especially for Christians, even non-Christians, if you're listening. Um, we went through some of the controversy around these two positions and then strongly advised on what you should do if you're going to change, which is usually ubiquitous with trial. So thanks for listening. We've been the found cause, your founder cause of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and virtually to my friend has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can download them all audio at foundcause.podbead.com. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash foundcause. And we're also on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else you find your podcast. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.